All right, y'all, good morning. Didn't hear the bell ring, but uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, looks like it's a couple after nine, but I know that that clock has been fast since, uh, I guess, daylight savings has been um, in effect, not in effect, since we've been using daylight savings, you know, in back in fall. So anyway, it's good to have you here this morning. Good to be back. And uh, we're going to be studying about the resurrection this morning. Uh, we are journeying and walking through the um, New Testament and as we're doing so, we're doing so in a chronological study as opposed to a book-by-book -book study. And it's just a different perspective and hopefully yielding some different uh, fruit as far as our understanding and our appreciation for things like, uh, you know, the 400 years of silence, the birth of Jesus, the life and ministry of Jesus. We've gone through and talked about the miracles of Jesus, the uh, parables of Jesus. We've talked about um, uh, the, the sects of the Jews, you know, the Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians and others. And uh, we're coming through and uh, we've uh, finished up, taught an excellent job last week talking about the uh, uh, the death and the burial of Christ. And now we're going to talk about today the resurrection of Jesus. But we're glad you're here. Um, hope you'll pick up a copy of the handout back there. The handout is, um, as I'm treating it, more of a supplemental material for you. Uh, we're not necessarily going to go through and talk about each one of these things, but um, here's some things that we'll talk about in Bible class. And then if you want some extra material, here it is on the handout. So it's kind of like a twofer, right? And uh, we're not going to charge you any extra for that. So that's the way it's going to be. But good to have you this morning. Um, as we begin our Bible class study, let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. And then we'll jump into talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Our holy God and Father in heaven, how great it is to be in your presence this morning, how great it is to be gathered together with your people, recognizing, God, that we're striving to serve you every single day and recognizing we need your word as a lamp unto our feet and as light unto our path, as a map, as we can study it as pilgrims and sojourners here in this world, as the psalmist mentioned, as we can study, dear God, and uh, understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that if we want to come to you, we've got to do so through him. Father, we're so thankful for him and for his sacrifice on the cross. We're so thankful, God, that we can call ourselves your children through his blood. We're so thankful for the forgiveness of sins that you've given us in his blood. We're thankful for the redemption, for uh, the fact that you've um, made us uh, heirs together with him. And we ask, God, that you would bless us as we strive to live every single day on this life, walking in his footsteps, carrying our cross, and realizing to God that... Uh, um, it's going to lead us, he's going to lead us to the best of all possible places. We're mindful of those who are not hurt, uh, feeling well this morning, for those, dear God, that are battling illnesses, uh, seasonal or otherwise. We're not mindful of those who are in the hospital and those, dear God, that are hurting and suffering. We pray that you bless them and bless the hands that are ministering to them. And God, if it be possible, may it be that we're moved with compassion, that we can encourage uh, and strengthen them and to, uh, to uh, do our best to lift their load and to help them carry it. We're mindful, Father, of those who are not here this morning because of spiritual reasons, because of those who are discouraged in their lives, for those who haven't been focused on Jesus and uh, they've prioritized other things ahead of you. God, may it be, again, that we can be a word of encouragement, a rebuking hand, and uh, a comfort to them and a strength to them, dear God, to remind them of what it is that they need to do as Christians. Father, we're so thankful for the blood of Jesus once again, and so thankful that it washes us clean from our sins. And God, as we enter into this Bible study, we pray that you'd open our eyes and behold wonderful things from your word. And Father, that as we uh, approach you in the hour to come and worship, may it be that you're glorified by the things that are happening and the things that are going to go on in spirit and in truth. And may it be, Father, that the church is edified. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. The resurrection. It's interesting to me that 
we understand the resurrection to be important, but sometimes I don't necessarily think that we put the proper emphasis on the resurrection like we ought to. Just by way of introduction, take a look just for a moment at Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. I don't necessarily know... You know how there's some things that seem to kind of fly under the radar um, as far as importance goes. Um, when we talk about things like faith and hope and love, when we talk about Jesus being God's son and all of those important things that we um, that we emphasize in Christ, what we cannot fail to emphasize is the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, because, folks, that's why we're here. We'll get more to that here in 1 Corinthians 15 in just a moment, but that's why we're here. We know the section of first, uh, Isaiah 53 uh, by and large because it's, it's obviously a reference to God and his suffering servant. It's obviously a reference to uh, the pain that Jesus would go through as Isaiah prophesied some 800 years before Christ ever walks on this earth. We see that it's talking about him and upon his suffering, but the verses that we don't necessarily concentrate on is verses 9 through 12. But look how much of the resurrection is prophesied here just in verses 9 through 12 of Isaiah 53. They made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he'd done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, when you talk about sacrifice, whatever sacrificed is killed. It's dead. And as, he's, uh, as Christ dies... It says that he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Even though it is that this suffering servant is obviously killed, is obviously sacrificed, what you find is that his legacy, and certainly his, uh, um, uh, his personhood, if we can call it that, continues. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Note verse 11. Here is a person who continues to live or goes on living. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death, he was numbered with transgressors. He bore the sins of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Even in the Old Testament, it was prophesied that the, uh, Christ would not stay dead. We'll look at uh, Acts chapter 2 in just a moment. But realize that. We have always understood the resurrection from this side of Calvary. But as Isaiah saw it, and uh, as you know, Peter would tell us, the, the prophets and even the angels desired to look into those things that they were prophesying. They didn't have a full picture. They could understand maybe some things, but there was a plan that God had had, especially about the Christ and about the mystery of his death and his burial and resurrection and the preaching of the gospel to all nations that the apostles didn't necessarily have. And excuse me, the prophets didn't necessarily have. But as he prophesies about these things, he's prophesying about the resurrection of Jesus. Note that Jesus in his earthly ministry, flip over to John chapter 5 as you're going. John chapter 5. Jesus in his mystery, or excuse me, Jesus in his earthly ministry talked about his own resurrection. John 5, verses 28 and 29. 
He says, do not marvel at this, for the hour has come, or is coming, rather, which when all who are in the grave will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Speaking about the time when all the dead shall rise, and uh, there are some that are going to go to the resurrection of life, there are some that are going to be resurrected to the resurrection of condemnation. He taught about the reality of the resurrection. Flip over to the next page or the next chapter, John 6, verse 44. John 6 and verse 44. Some of the things that infuriated the Jews about his teaching were some of the things that he spoke about the relationship he had with the Father and especially the power that the Father had given him. Note verse 44. No one who come, can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. Uh, what authority did Jesus have to do that? Again, at this point, the Jews are still confused about his mission and about his purpose, and it doesn't necessarily make sense until you get to uh, the book of Acts. Flip over to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. <laughs> and verse 25 and 26. As Jesus comforts Martha in the death of her brother, Verse 24, Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day, speaking of Lazarus. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is, come, who is to come into the world. When you look at Jesus, he was very clear about the resurrection of the dead and about um, the resurrection, and it is through accomplished through his, uh, through his blood and through his own death that uh, the Bible would call him the first fruits of those who rise from the dead. The Bible would call him uh, the one who's able to give life. And so as you look at all these things and uh, these different passages, the resurrection doesn't necessarily start to make sense until you get to the book of Acts. Take a look at Acts, uh, Acts chapter 2. Actually, let's start as we're uh, flying over Acts chapter 1 just for a moment. Acts is kind of the Luke sequel, Luke 2, Luke part 2. It's written by the same author, and as you get into the introductory statement of the book of Acts, look at what uh, 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 Luke says here, uh, beginning of verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. The former account made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus taught or began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up after, uh, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Note this, to whom he also presented himself alive after suffering by many infallible proofs, uh, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of them to, pertaining to the things about the kingdom of God. Luke opens up and talking about the fact that the Jesus that was crucified was the same Jesus that appeared alive to the disciples on the road to Emmaus there in Luke 24. This is the same Jesus that spent 40 extra days here on this earth until it was that he was taken up as he commanded his apostles certain things. After Jesus was taken up here at the beginning of Acts chapter 1, flip over to Acts chapter 2. You have the hub of the Bible where the church comes into existence. But note what this sermon is all about. As Peter talks about the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel in Joel chapter 2, that's uh, verses 17 through 21, note verse 22. 
Men of Israel, hear these words. This is Peter preaching the sermon to, uh, to all these Jews and their, so they can understand in their own tongue. That's all the, uh, uh, the introduction all the way up to verse uh, whatever, 16. But as you look at verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God, uh, to, by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death. Underline this part, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He's in my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, the realm of the dead, the realm of the unseen, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. And then as Peter continues, he says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David. He's both dead and buried. His tomb is with us till this day. Can we go see, you know, if it was, that uh, it was clearly labeled there in Jerusalem. Uh, Peter's saying we can go and we can take a look and see. Here lies the patriarch David. He's gone. He's dead. He's buried. We can go and we can look at his tomb. But note, verse 30, be, therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to make him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, meaning David, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ. Note that, underline it, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, underline it, God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Verse 36, the conclusion or the uh, punctuating part. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know that God has made this Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. How did he do that? He did that through the resurrection of the dead. And as Christ was raised from the dead, you find that central to the apostles preaching. Flip over to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. We're just doing a survey briefly. Acts chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Remember they healed, uh, Peter and John healed the man who was sitting there beside the gate, beautiful. And as uh, this man is leaping and praising God in the temple, now it is that uh, people are beginning to uh, stand around and say, isn't this the guy that was laying there for uh, years and years and years uh, beside the temple gate, and now he's standing here? Peter takes the opportunity, verse 12, and preaches a sermon. What's he preach? Look at verse 14 and 15. But you deny the Holy One and the just and ask for a murder to be granted to you. He's talking about Barabbas. And killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are all witnesses. Two aspects to this. Number one, God raised him from the dead. Aspect number two, we are witnesses of that. As these witnesses, they would go about and they would tell, listen, Christ has been raised from the dead. Christ is alive. Christ is not still in his tomb like the patriarch David, Acts chapter 2. We are witnesses of that. We've seen it with our eyes. We've heard him with our ears. These were the ones that at the end of the book of John were the ones that put their fingers into his hand, into his nail prints, and put his hand into their his side. So much so that Thomas was able to cry out, my Lord and my God. He knew who it was that was standing before him. Interesting to me that uh, <laughs> whenever it was that Pilate, um, uh, Pilate put him in the tomb, and the Jews said, we remember how he taught that after three days he was going to rise from the dead. We're concerned that 
um, say his disciples come and steal the body away and say he's, he's risen. And Pilate said, well, you have a guard. Go make it secure like you know how. And so they went and they put the guard there. And then uh, and Matthew records that um, after the guard had failed in their mission, the stone, stone was rolled away and the guards were there and uh, uh, the Jews had to bribe the guards in order to say, well, we were sleeping and the disciples came and took him away. You ever thought about the lunacy of that? Here's a Roman who's enlisted in service. Here's a Roman guard. And they're now being bribed to say they were asleep on the job. And I wouldn't want to go to my captain and say that this was my job to do because you're talking about a penalty of death um, for that. But they're preaching the resurrection. Look at chapter 4. Look at Acts chapter 4. Peter and John still in hot water for this man who's, uh, uh, who's been made well at the, the gate beautiful. Verse 7. When they had set them in their midst, they said, By what power, by what name have you done this? Talking about raising this man up and, uh, and making him able to walk. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Rulers of the people in the house of Israel, if we are this day judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by means he's been made well, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, note this, whom God has raised from the dead, by, the, by him this man stands here whole. What power is it, Peter, that you've done this by the name of Jesus Christ? Remember, you crucified him, but you know what? He didn't stay in that tomb. God raised him up. Look down further in the context, verse 17. As the rulers of the council begin to talk to him, verse 17, they said, But so it spreads no further among the people. Let's severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak or teach in all the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot speak but the things that we have seen and heard. What's he talking about? He's talking about what Christ commanded them to do. The resurrected Christ commanded them to do. To go and to be witnesses of him. To be, um, uh, eg not examples, but be ambassadors of him to, to tell the nations that they've got a living Savior, they've got a Lord that's, that's alive. Look down further as Peter prays for, um, uh, pay, Peter uh, leads the disciples in prayer for boldness, down in verse 33. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. You see the importance just in the first four chapters. Look at chapter 5, verse 20. As the uh, jail was opened there at night, verse 19, the Lord opened a, by an angel of the Lord, opened the prison doors, brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to people, speak to the people all the words of this life. What's our mission as the church? It's to speak to the world, the mission of, or the, excuse me, the, the words of this life. Look at verses 28 through 32, same chapter. Here they're back in trouble again. Here's all the apostles saying, didn't we not command you to not uh, teach in, uh, in this name? Look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Question, what was it that they were crying out to Pilate whenever Pilate, uh, Jesus was standing before Pilate? 
they're saying crucify him, crucify him. But uh, Pilate's, uh, you know, looking at this and, you know, washes his hands of it. Says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. What did the Jews cry out? His blood be on us and upon our children. And now it is that uh, conveniently, politically almost, or, you know, just um, because it doesn't suit their purposes, they're saying, you're trying to make us responsible for this man's murder. They're, you're trying to make us responsible for this man's death. Verse 29, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging him on the tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, as is also the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Note again, here's the resurrection of Jesus, but here's the people that saw it. Here's the people that handled it. There are credible eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus didn't stay in his tomb. A couple more, chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. Chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. The resurrection is central to the preaching of these apostles. Here is the conversion of Saul. Here is the beginning of the conversion process of Saul. Uh, he's breathing threats and murders against the disciples, went to the high priest, uh, 9 verse 1, asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus that if he found any of those who were of the way, speaking Christianity, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Dead people don't speak. Here is Christ who is living, who is very real to Saul at this moment. And as he sees this light and as he meets the Lord here on the road to Damascus, the Lord introduces himself and says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. He, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Interesting that the Lord doesn't say, say a prayer into your heart, invite me into your heart, and you'll be saved. The Lord said to him, arise, go into the city, you'll be told what you must do. The Lord sends a man by the name of Ananias to go and talk to Saul. Ananias says, Saul, Saul, why are you, uh, why are you delaying or why are you uh, waiting? Arise, be baptized, washing away your sins. Uh, that's Acts 22, 16, as Paul recounts counts it. But you see the importance of the resurrection, the Lord appearing to uh, Saul on the road to Damascus. Look at Acts 10, verse 34, uh, 39, the last one we'll look at. Acts chapter 10, what was the message that Peter preached to Cornelius and his household? Verse 39, we are witnesses, there it is, of the things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging him on the tree. God, or him, excuse me, God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before God, even with us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Here's the witness. Here's the resurrection. Here's the message. That's the third part. It's not just them going and declaring openly that Jesus was crucified, Jesus was raised from the dead. Hey, we've seen him, we've touched him, we've uh, handled him, we've sat down and had meals with him, we visited him. But this is the message that you need to go and you need to obey right now. 
Because if Jesus is not there in the dead, if he's not there still, excuse me, in the tomb, then if he's been raised up, well, he gives hope through his name. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the one who is going to uh, give life to those who are uh, uh, to the resurrection of life, John chapter 5. And so all of these passages and everything that we do this morning, brothers and sisters, hangs upon the fact that Jesus didn't stay in that tomb. It hangs upon the fact that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. He is God's authorized spokesman for this age, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. So here's the question. What if it was all just a lie? What if it was just all a big hoax? What if it was just all a, well, a ruse that was, if we can say it, a ruse that fooled, you know, generations of people? We're still talking about this 2,000 years later. But what if? What if it was just all a big hoax? Look over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to play some, a what-if game this morning. We like to play what if in other situations and other scenarios of life, right? Um, what if, you know, there's a terrorist attack? What if we don't aren't prepared for the next time that there's a hurricane? What if there's, and we, we do that, you know. Um, well, Sigmund Freud made a mention and uh, made a quote one time that said, you know, Christianity is just something that uh, has been contrived by man in this fear. You know, what if there's no resurrection? I think if the resurrection is not true, the consequences are far more disastrous than anything we can imagine, any more nuclear attack or anything else. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is dealing, and it's a central chapter, dealing with the resurrection of the dead. Um, we need assurance from God's word, and we need assurance from God's eyewitnesses to say, yes, this is true, yes, you can build your life on it. And Paul plays the what-if game as he looks at this and says, let's play this game. Let's look at this logically if uh, the resurrection is not true. And he did this in order to build the faith of these uh, Corinthians, but he was also doing it because here's people, even in the first century, that are saying, you know what, that resurrection, you know, there's, not, there's nothing to it. You know, or uh, there were some that were saying in uh, Thessalonica, well, they missed the resurrection. Those people that have already died, you had uh, so-and-so that became a Christian and then they died before the Lord came back. Well, they've just missed it. They're dead and they're gone. They're dead and they're buried. Paul writes in Thessalon uh, to the Thessalonians in chapter 4, he said, no, that's not the case at all. He said, in fact, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. He said, there's going to be a resurrection. And then he talks about that in terms of comfort. You can comfort one another with those words. But note this in verses 12 through 14 as he plays this game. We say game, and again, please understand we're speaking very respectfully. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, who preached it? Who preached it? Peter, the apostles. What were the key words in the book of Acts that we looked at? Peter and the apostles preaching the resurrection. They were witnesses. They saw it. They're declaring that. Question. Paul doesn't ask this, but uh, I'm going to ask this. Who's going to willingly go for what they know to be a lie? Who's going to willingly die for what they know to be a lie? You'll find very, very sincere people in life that are going to, for example, 
strap a bomb to the chest and walk into an open square and then detonate that bomb, killing lots and lots of people. Why do they do that? It's because they believe it to be true. However, if it is true, if we go back to Matthew and uh, 28, uh, 27, 28, where it is that you get um, what the Jews accused the disciples of doing and going in and stealing the body away and, and then declaring he's resurrected from the dead. Well, why is it that you find so many of those apostles, if they did do that, why would they give their life for something that they knew to be a lie? Why would they give their life for something they didn't truly believe in? It's a difference between somebody that has a knowledge and that knowledge not based upon uh, truth, but then somebody that's completely lying about what it is that happened and then believing that enough or maybe trying to, to force that belief on people enough that they're willing to go and they're willing to give their life for that. Tradition tells us that, uh, what, 11 out of the 12 disciples or 12, 12 apostles um, died martyrs' deaths. You know, John, it's said in church tradition, was the only one that died of natural causes. You know, why would it be that 11 out of the 12 would, would give their lives for a lie, for what they knew to be a lie? Danny, do you have something? I've got too many things. <laughs> okay, pick one. Let me pick one, one or two minutes. One is a song, He Arose, is very good for the resurrection of Jesus. Another song is, He Will Raise Me Up. I've never heard it here. In, it, it may not even be in our songbook. But He Will Raise Me Up. There's two resurrections that are spoken, that you spoke of. Us being raised up in the likeness of Christ. Mm -hmm. Okay? That, that there's a resurrection for us also. Okay? Sure. And then I look back in the, as far as Christian evidences, this this death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God went back long time historically and in, in the Bible. There, that's you know how would that how would that have been written if it wasn't going to happen or it didn't happen? Exactly, and the you the can go back. Is, yes. No, you're good. The last thing is, I used to hear an awful lot about witnesses. But the witnesses we read about in the New Testament are people who have seen it, mm -hmm. have experienced it with their own eyes. Now, by faith, we there's a, there's a different type of witness. We witness through faith, but they witness through <clears throat> eyesight. Right. That's exactly right. And, you know, in a lot of circles, you'll hear the word witness being used kind of in a denominational context. Um, you know, you need to go witness to somebody else. Well, we use the term preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel, um, because I didn't physically handle or, you know, uh, touch or uh, uh, visit with the Lord like these guys did. Um, the word witness, anybody know what the Greek word is? It's the word marturason. What word does that sound like? Martyr. Here's somebody that's going to give a testimony, and because they believe that testimony, a lot of times they were martyred because of that testimony. They were giving their lives as, um, well, because it is they refused to give up their belief and their understanding. 
How can I not speak the things which I've seen and heard? How can I not witness about this? I did see the Lord. I did hear his voice. I did sit down and eat a, eat a breakfast with him. I did um, hear his instruction to me as an apostle. And as uh, those apostles went and gave their testimony and their witness, it's not just a matter of them saying, yeah, he's alive. It's a matter of now saying he commands all men everywhere to repent. It is that only through repentance and baptism, it's only through belief in his name through the book of Acts that you're going to have life. It's the only way if you uh, die and are buried to yourself, as uh, Danny was mentioning from Romans chapter 6, and are raised to walk with him in the newness of life. Because if we're likeness in the in the likeness of his death, we're also will be likeness in the likeness of his resurrection as well. And that's an important point to be made. Good, good, uh, good thoughts. As we look through and we see First Corinthians chapter fifteen, Paul writing these things and saying, um, "Look, well, look how the chapter opens." First chapter fifteen. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you received, and which you also stand. By which you're also saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. Note, what's the gospel, Paul? For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died, circle that, for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was, circle it, buried, and draw a line back to died, and that he, circle it, rose again on the third day according to scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, by Peter, and by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part now are present, but some have fallen asleep. He, after that, he was seen by James and all the apostles. Last of all, he was seen by me also as born, born out of due season. When did Paul see the Lord? It was a road to Damascus, what we looked at from Acts chapter 9 just a few moments ago. He was uh, verse uh, as born, born out of due season. For I'm the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, but because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but by the grace of the Lord which was in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached, so you believed. We witnessed, we talked about the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel, note this, we preached it, and you believed it. What's the gospel? The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, the message of salvation that comes only through uh, that process. Verse 11, therefore, whether I or they, so we preach, so you believe. Now, note this, draw a box around it. If, if Christ has preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Note the game he's going to play, verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Here's a series of if-then statements, verse 14. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. Verse 15, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified that God raised up the Christ. There's the witness. There's the raising him up. Whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead don't rise. Verse 16, for if the dead don't rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this own life we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Paul does not paint a happy picture, does he? If it is that Christ is not raised from the dead, note what he says. Number one, Christ isn't risen. 
If there's no possibility for somebody to have life beyond this life, that is, if death is the final answer, and death is the final, uh, final, final place that we're all going to go, if there's nothing after that, if there's no hope for that, if all, all sin falls short of the glory of God, uh, Romans uh, 3.23, the wages of sin is death, then there's no free gift of God. If, then Christ is not risen. You know, many people would dispute the fact that Christ is risen even nowadays. You know, Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God through, by power, with power, rather, by his resurrection. You know, but if Christ isn't raised, or if the dead don't rise, then Christ isn't risen. You know, but Acts chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, after his death, we looked at, he showed with infallible proofs, he showed himself to be alive. You know, if the dead don't rise, then Christ isn't risen. No, but also he says, verse 14, your preaching is hollow. I've heard some hollow preaching in my day. Um, but what Paul is saying is if you take out the essence of the resurrection, if you take out the hope of that, then you know what? Every message that you've ever heard about Jesus and about the Messiah and about the resurrection of the dead and the hope that we have for life beyond this one, you know, it's just empty words. It's just a message that maybe can make you feel good here, but you know what? There's no substance to it. There's nothing to it. You take the resurrection out of the preaching, and there's not a lot to preach. But we see the love at the cross, but we at the resurrection, we see the power of God. You know, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul said, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18 through 25, God um, chose the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. And you look at that context, chapter 1, and he's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about the fact that God chose to nail his Messiah to a tree, which is a Jew, the Jews, a stumbling block, and the Greeks' foolishness. But it's the resurrection that makes the difference. You know, there's dominoes <laughs> that are lined up on this table. And as Paul lines these dominoes up, he says, listen, you take out that resurrection one. And everything else is not going to fall in place like it ought to. And so we believe the resurrection because the preaching that is of Jesus is hollow if there's no resurrection. Note what he says in verse 15. What's well, a consequence if there is no resurrection? He says, your faith is vain. Your faith is vain. Everything you've ever believed about being a Christian Everything that you've ever embraced and everything that you've ever thought about those who maybe have died in the Lord and those who have died uh, faithful Christians, all of that goes up in smoke. I don't know about that, but uh, you find somebody that's been a Christian 50, 60, 70 years and that have given their lives to living for the Lord. That'd be a bitter pill to take. You believed a lie and what you trusted in is gone if there is no resurrection. Look at verse 15 and 16. Another consequence, if there is no resurrection, we're liars. We're liars. You ever had a religious discussion with somebody that was not forthright with the truth or honest with the evidence? With honest of what they knew was right? You know, it's, <laughs> it's not a matter of misunderstanding. It's the fact that if there is no resurrection, then Peter and those other guys that preached this as witnesses, they were liars. They lied about it. They didn't tell the truth. It's a matter of being a false witness. 
Well, what about the rest of it? What about the spiritual consequences? Verse 16 and 17. If there's no resurrection, then we're still in sin. We're still in sin. We're still under the penalty of death. That's not what the Bible teaches. And Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 tells us we are under redemption. We have redemption through his blood. But if there's no resurrection, then there's no redemption. If there's no redemption, that means you and I are still in sin. You know, how could a dead savior be the perfect king and high priest? Romans 4.25 says we were raised or Jesus was raised for our justification. There was a purpose in view. The Lord was raised from the dead so that he might pass along that redemption, that he might buy back from sin all of us. And if he didn't raise from the dead, if there's no power in that, then you and I were still in sin. Verse 18. What else? If there's no resurrection, then the righteous have perished. The righteous dead have perished. And, but what could be farther removed from what it is that we teach and what it is that we believe? You know, we teach the hope of Christianity. The hope is an anchor for the soul. You know what? That this life is not all there is. That the best is yet to be. If there's no resurrection, then we better live it up because the best is just right now. You know, uh, the comfort, the rest should be known by those people that are asleep in Christ. That's one of the things that we absolutely hold on to and will not give up. You know, but who could ever accept such a few? You know, the Bible says John revealed as he uh, was given that great vision and revelation in John uh, Revelation 14, verse 15, or verse 13, rather. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. They can rest from their labors and their hope to follow them. You can see them again. We see them again. But verse 19, brothers and sisters, if there is no resurrection, we are of all men the most pitiable, the most miserable. You poor, stupid, pitiable Christians. You're believing a lie. You could have slept in this morning. You could have done a whole lot of other things in this life that probably would have given you a whole lot more joy. And, you know, the comfort and the hope and the uh, the faith that you have is just hollow and empty and there's no substance to it at all. You're a pitiable person. Because you're still going to die and there's no hope for the resurrection. Not a pretty picture, is it? Sir? Sometimes uh, in, in trying to buttress the idea of belief in the resurrection, someone may say... Even if the resurrection isn't true, Christianity is the best life to live. Right. But when you analyze that, that that is not a good argument. Sure. Because Luke, as he begins his gospel account, talks about the certainty of the thing. So we don't need to step back to an idea. The idea is true that we live a better life. Right. But to say, well, if, even if the resurrection we still lead a better life, and they don't. Right. That's not good enough. Sure. Now, Alan mentions, um, I want to say Ackman's razor, but that's not right. It's Pascal's wager, isn't it? That um, you, uh, if you live the life of a Christian and it's not true, you've still lived the best life. But if you live the life of a Christian and it is true, then you have the hope beyond this one. Um, Alan said that if you live the life of a Christian but it's not true, then you're still living the best life. That's not necessarily true. Um, and, you know, as Alan mentioned, 
this life will bring suffering. And as we face it with hardships and difficulties, yes, it is a good life. But, you know, then we can't uh, buttress the, um, you know, the fact that there's, well, the fact is people would say that there's no resurrection um, and expect that that's uh, necessarily going to follow. It's a, it's a poor, it's a poor argument. And that's exactly right. As Paul makes these arguments, if he just stopped there at the end of Corinthians, right, or at the end of Corinthians chapter 15, <laughs> wouldn't leave us with a whole lot of hope and, and joy or anything else, would it? But I love the conjunction, verse 20, and you can draw a big star around it or a big box around it there in your Bible, but now Christ is risen. Everything that we've just done and playing this game to say, what if, what if, what if, what if? This is horrible, horrible, worse, 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 to the point where we're all men, of all men, the most pitiable. He does remind us of our hope. Verse 20, but Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even in Christ all shall be made alive. It's an important point that we have to remember that Christ is risen, that preaching is profitable, that many Christians don't give preaching the right place that they ought to, but it is by the proclamation of God's word that lives can be profoundly changed, that it is that because of the resurrection, our faith has substance. It is something we hold on to, and I hope it is that it becomes more precious to you as time goes on. It is because of the resurrection that we tell the truth because God's word is a reliable witness. It's not just mass hypnosis or bad mushrooms. If we believe that we're offering some uh, something to some Somebody, and that there's no hope in that, why bother? But it is that the resurrection offers us hope. It is the fact that because of the resurrection, our sins have been uh, forgiven. I thank God, I can thank God that he chooses to forget. How so? Through the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the same power that will raise me from the dead one day, if it is that I live according to his word. And it is that the dead live on because of the resurrection. When the faithful ones in, die, in Christ die, they're not gone forever. And it is that because of the resurrection, we are not all of all men the most pitiable. We are of all men the most blessed. And so as we go out and we see people that are living under the condemnation of death, that are still servants of sin, that are still ones who are under the penalty of God's wrath, we offer to them the same hope that the apostles offered there in the book of Acts, that you can be free from your sin. You can have the hope of a life beyond this one, you can have the hope of the resurrection because of the Christ that was raised from the dead by the power of the Father. Yeah? Thank y'all. Yes, ma'am. Sorry? That's why it's called euangelion, the good news, right? Good message. Yes, sir. And he will raise me up. That's exactly right. Up from the grave, we arose. Thank y'all so much for your attention and for your participation in class today. And uh, we will begin our worship in just a few moments. I hope that talking about the resurrection has made you long for the time that we can be together in heaven singing the praises of God, but we're going to do that in our worship here on this earth in just a few moments. Thank you.